G'day, I'm Nick Bowditch. Welcome to the Ordinary Stories podcast. We believe the power of story comes from the unexpected, and great storytelling often comes from unexpected storytellers. So on this podcast, we've interviewed a diverse collection of normal, everyday people, all of whom have one thing in common, a story that is anything but ordinary. My guest today is Patrick. Patrick was a normal 22-year-old man who, in the course of trying to be a peacemaker in a nightclub in Sydney's King's Cross, was the victim of a one-punch attack he didn't see coming, something that's now been coined a coward's punch, that left him fighting for his life and eventually deciding that suicide was the only way he could stop the pain. Thankfully, though, he relearned how to walk, talk, and rebuild his life. The most amazing thing in all of this, though, is his incredible positivity, and just wait until you hear his answer to my final question. Year seven came around and I put my head down and I studied, but because I was, you know, a bit of a nerd, I guess, I got, yeah, you know, beaten up and kicked and... You know, it was just a kind of perfect storm to break things down between a dad and his son. Started out a pretty standard night, you know, raising the glasses up, cheers, and here's to a good night. Somehow, someone said, let's go to King's Cross. If somehow they find the guy who punched you and changed your life, And you get to sit down with him and ask one question. What would that one question be? And so, lads drinking at a pub in Newtown seems fairly innocuous. Mm. How did you end up in King's Cross? So, and, and I should just say for the listeners outside of Australia, uh, Newtown is a real hipster kind of uh, cosmopolitan, almost hippie part of inner city Sydney and King's Cross is, oh God, how would you even describe it? The seedy underbelly of Sydney. Yeah. I mean, it's not as bad as it used to be, but there is a lot of, there was a lot of Organised crime and just yeah, prostitution, nightclubs. Mm. It's it's pretty ordinary. It's yeah. a lot better now than it used to be. But but to go from Newtown to Kings Cross is a little bit of a journey. Yeah. Um, at a time where you are a fair few drinks in at mm. Newtown, how how did you end up, fatefully, in Kings Cross? Uh, I think it was a. I think there are nights where you don't set an end time. You know, it's just a night and you go out and whatever happens, happens type thing. So Newtown was our initial destination. It was meant to be our total. There's a lot of bars and things in Newtown. Somehow someone said, let's go to King's Cross. Don't know how or why. Someone mentioned it. No one was in any, uh, with it, no one had any objections. We were all just happy. Um, and, but by the time we got there, we took a couple of taxis and, so I was, I was, there was eight of us or nine of us and there was only four of us, including myself, 
who actually went into a club when we got there. I think a few of us had some Maccas and at that point in time, some people called it quits and went home and me, I was fine to keep going. So we went into Candy's nightclub. Yeah. You drunk? Yes, I was. And so in this nightclub, like describe, like is it, is it rough? Yeah, uh, it's not, well, it's uh, a lot of, it was the younger crowd, I think. So I was about 22 um, and it, there was a lot of 18, 19 year olds, um, 20 year olds who were in there. And, um, you know, you walk down the stairs and it's this underground looking type of club, um, you know, a few seats around the outside of this dance floor, a, a dark bar to the right hand side and, you know, you're either standing on the outside or you're dancing and and that's, you know, it's a bit dark and, you know, average in there, I guess. Sounds pretty standard though. Like. Yeah, for King's Cross. It's <laughs> Full? Yeah, uh, yeah, from memory. Yep. When does your memory stop? Um, memory stops. So I, I've got brief parts of my memory, um, but the memory majority of the memories um, around the first part of the altercation, then me leaving after that settled and then coming back when it sparked up again. That's my memory of that night. Yeah, that's, that's mostly it really. Um, you know, when it, when it first started, um, a friend of mine was a bit jumpy and, and, and antagonizing as he has had done before in other other nights and uh these two guys came up and started a bit of a argument argument when i was still with my mate at the time and i told everyone to settle down and so did another one of my mates just we all settled everyone down and they walked away but at that point in time i turned to my mate who started the argument or who was involved in it uh let's just go on the dance floor have some fun um but he didn't want to he, he stayed there with his other friends and I was like, screw this, I'll, I liked to dance. And uh, and yeah, went on the dance floor, started dancing. And next thing I remember is those guys came back and started getting in a bit of a push and shove with my friend. So I ran back over to pull my friend away. And the last thing I remember is getting hit in the back of the head or side of the head. And then I fell down. And, and then the rest is just recounts of what, People told my mum and, you know, the paramedics and, yeah, brief snippets of flashbacks. So your mate who, who starts the strife in the first place, uh, you know, you have, a, you, have a, you have a word to him and you say, listen, it's not worth it. It's okay. You know, we're out. We're having fun. You go away to the dance floor, take your eyes off that situation. Or did he then provoke them coming back? From, yeah, he, he, he was jumping up and down. He was still a bit, he was still, he wasn't, he was still a bit, uh, you know, aggravated when I left to go to the dance floor. Um, and he didn't, he doesn't let things go and yeah, wouldn't wouldn't uh, have surprised me if whatever he did next 
got them back over. He was jumping. He was still jumping. He was still looking at them and I just didn't want to be, I just wanted to have a good night, a fun night. So you being, you know, conscious of your mate getting into a little bit of strife, come over to pull him out of it really to, to stop it again. Mm. And someone means to hit you because they recognize that now you're with this guy that's do you think they meant to hit you i don't know i'm not sure uh they were no one was ever charged or or anything um i don't know i don't know if it was something intentional it kind of i don't really have any hatred towards the people who hit me and pushed me uh, for some reason, um, I have a bit more of a an an a bit more of of pain um, after what happened. I guess my focus was more directed to after I was hit and I hit the concrete and I was left. I was I was dead, bleeding out. Uh, I was in a pool of my own blood. The three mates that I was with that night, including the guy that I went in to go help, all went home. They didn't stick around. They weren't by my side. They didn't come with me in the ambulance. They, you know, if they were, whether they were a bit intoxicated, I guess, but I was hit, I was down, I was bleeding out, and they all went home. That's the bit that kind of baffles me. Um, and, I kind of made peace with it. I, I don't tell. I don't retell this story with any kind of hatred. I just tell it how it was, and um, the questions are always going to still be there. Like, why did they leave, and how could they? I don't think I'd ever be, you know. I don't think I'd ever be, you know, to the point where I'd leave a friend who was knocked out. And just walk off and go home. Yeah. I hope I wouldn't be. Yeah. Particularly if if they've been injured because of my shenanigans. Well, yeah, that's right. You know, like. Okay, we'll get back to them. So you're lying in the middle of a dance floor in a club in King's Cross and dying. Hmm. And unconscious and bleeding a lot, both from the the trauma of being hit as well as hitting the ground, yeah? And an ambulance is called. An ambulance called every few minutes, I imagine. <laughs> King's Cross. They collect you up, take you to St. Vincent's, I guess. Yeah. How long are you then unconscious for? Uh, I was pretty lucky that I became conscious when I, uh, or I regained consciousness that when I got to the hospital, but the ambulance took, took a little while. Um, don't know what happened, but I was out, they say for, um, 30, 30 minutes to an hour. Um, I was unconscious and yeah, um, that was qu it's quite a while. I was, but I, I was lucky that. I didn't have to be induced into a coma for some reason. Yeah. 
So the, the staff at Vinnie's work out who you are, presumably from your license or something, um, and ring your mum. How does your mum recount that story of of the phone ringing middle of the night? I presume. Mm, yeah, it was. Uh, it was about two two or two thirty in the morning, and uh, she got a phone call from one of the nurses and said, uh, "You know, your son's been your son's in Saint Vincent's Hospital, and you need to get here now." And her question was, well, where, you know, who's with him? Where are his friends? Because I went out with quite a lot of mates. And she said, it's not important. Um, he's here by himself uh, and he's suffered uh, brain. He had, he's got brain hemorrhaging and he's bleeding from his brain. Um, you need to get here now. And, I mean, I could only imagine what, that's what gets me. What, what would have been going through my mum's mind from when she got that phone call to the lack of you know detail to the 40 or 50 minute drive from her house to the hospital to then running in and seeing me uh, with uh, a bloodied shirt my face and head covered in blood and being told that uh, your son has been hit and I mean at that point in time too king hits weren't or coward's punch, punches weren't on TV I was um, cowardly punched a few weeks before Thomas Kelly who died unfortunately um, and yeah I had I mean we didn't at that, at that point in time, they weren't sure what the repercussions would have been, what brain damage I would have had. I um, had hemorrhaging on the front of my brain and the back of my brain because it shook so violently when it hit the concrete and I had blood clots and I couldn't. I, I, I remember when I was put into a room that I mum asked me if I wanted to have any visitors, but any, I couldn't hear without any pain. And I couldn't see any light without any pain and I couldn't walk or balance or anything. So I couldn't handle any visitors, which kind of sucked. I was in um, St. Vincent's for six days, six nights in uh, intensive care while they ran tests and made sure my brain stopped swelling and, you know, MRI scans and all that for blood clots. So, yeah, it was pretty intense. During that time, your mum, and right from the phone call, your mum's told that her 22-year-old baby boy, I mean, presumably could die. Mm. When you, do you remember her coming? No, I don't remember. I remember a bit of pain. I, no, no, I remember a bit of pain from what the doctors were doing, but I don't remember her getting there at all. Um, I just remember being in a room. I remember a flash of a memory where I was, where she was on the right side of my bed in in ER. I don't remember when she got there or what was going on. That was only a flash. And then I've got, I didn't remember my sister being there um, during my recovery. She gave me a teddy bear and all this other kind of, you know, things. But I didn't remember until later. I even asked her, where were you? You know, and 
just like Pat. I was there for five of the six nights, you know. So my memory was pretty – I had short-term memory loss. That was pretty significant. I went through rehab for that for nine months um, uh, with, a, yeah, with a doctor to train my brain at the same time as trying to finish uni. Um, so it was a bit of a mess that year. When your mum found out and explained to you, I presume it was your mum who told you, that your mates had just legged it and left you bleeding and with no one. And did you feel angry at them? Yeah, I did, definitely. I mean, I was, yeah, I was very, I was, yeah. I was very angry. I remember. Um, I remember. I think it was four months after I was hit. I uh, or three months. I went and caught up with some friends for the first time. Some of which who were there that night, and a lot of some of which actually had never even visited me, messaged, and not even messaged me or called me. Nothing in four months. Yeah, and what burnt me was. One of them got up from the lounge and said, hey, Pat, um, how are you feeling? I've been meaning to send you a message. I did, you know, and all I said to him was, yeah, mate, I'm, I'm getting better. No, not a problem. Like I didn't, I didn't make a big deal of it or anything, but it was a, to me it was like, okay, cool, well, good. You know, you're one friend I don't need in my life if, you know, you can't send. And I don't know. I don't know whether it was our age or what it was um, or the fact that they weren't there in the hospital when I was recovering. So I don't know why they were so easygoing about it all. But you'd think if, you know, one of your mates was in hosp- was hospitalised with a brain injury that there'd be at least a text message. I don't know. I guess I, I do make excuses for people sometimes or I, I try to yeah be empathetic. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, my role here is to shut up and let you talk, and I, I, I can't help it. Yeah. I just it makes me really angry. Yeah, oh, I did. Did it made it made me angry for a long time. What about old mate that's started it all? Yeah, um, he came around a couple of times. Um, I think it was yeah, I think it was yeah, two or three times in nine months. He he popped around mum's place, but he 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 knew he remembered what had happened. Like you, you're pissed, right? But mm. he knew that you had come in to stop his stupidity causing something else and been messed up mm. on his behalf. He knows this to be true, right? Yeah. Does he ever say? Sorry, Pat. No, he never did. He never did. I, that was a burning question of mine, why he hadn't apologized or, or how he felt about it at least. So I confronted him about it. Um, yeah. And he's, he's, he, he just said he was, he was just intoxicated and left and, um, yeah, that night, maybe. Yeah. 
but not the for the next nine months. No, no. Again, I don't know if it was age or maturity or what, but he just, um, yeah, just didn't, just didn't. Um, I don't know. It was funny. I went into a bit of a downward spiral of things, and his life seemed to get from the outside get a bit better, um, which was funny. Um, but good on him with how things are going and how things went and I'm in a good place and I'm a better person so of who I was um yeah you mentioned that you started to trickle down a little mm. you've gone through rehab you've learned how to walk again you're learning how to think again you know how to get your memory back you're trying to finish university you know, tough, you know, postgraduate degree. Um, how how do you keep going? Oh, that was a weird uh, nine months and I was, I'm not sure if it was because I was stubborn or determined as hell, but the doctors and the university um, told me I should rest for six months. Uh, and, um, yeah, I didn't want to, I, you know, in terms of pushing forward with my life, I wanted it to keep going the way it was going beforehand. Um, and in terms of the downward spiral, um, for depression, I became incredibly depressed. I was depressed young when I was younger. I guess it helped this time around because when I was younger, I I did try to to take my life and failed because people at school saw certain things and it got you know reported and I got help, which was great. So this time around, when I went into this downward spiral, not only did I make sure I was seeing a psychologist and an incredible one at that, the best one I've ever, I think I've seen two or three or in my life um and yeah he was incredible he he was a legend to be honest and he helped me get through so much and uh he helped me see he helped me he was the one who helped me with my anger and um he had gained my respect by that point i'm i'm kind of pretty big on respect i guess so if you've say you've been there done that type thing or you know what you're or if you've convinced me you know what you're talking about and you're legit, I respect you. And so what you tell me next, I'll take on board wholeheartedly. So I, um, throughout that recovery, you know, didn't have many friends who were visiting me. I, the girl that um, I had been seeing, um, you know, moved on with her life, which is fine. And, um, I just became I just began to become pretty lonely and I wanted to um die again like I I didn't want to live and I it got to a point one night where I was convinced that um it would not matter if I was around or not because at that point I wasn't really contributing to anyone's life I was a burden I thought to people by being bedridden and 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 not my usual self so I was convinced I went to bed. I 
said to myself, I'm better, like everyone's better off with me not being here. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to end it type thing. But I said to myself right before I fell asleep, before I started, you know, waking up the next day, planning on whatever I was going to plan, the, I, I made sure that I reached out for help this time because I didn't do that last time. It just happened to, I just happened to get help. So I reached out to someone um, who was one of my best mates at the time and, um, you know, things got, he helped not the way I kind of wanted him to initially because when someone tells you that kind of stuff, you expect them to drop everything. What did you tell him? I, uh, I called him up and collapsed, uh, you know, collapsed to my knees, started crying and said, mate, I'm done. I'm, I don't want to live anymore. I can't do this. I'd been pretty sad for a while and this was just the end. And I, I said, I need help. I need to, like, I just need to let, can we catch up? Can we just have a bit of fun? Like, um, and he told me, um, he said, I can't see you tonight, but I'm free tomorrow night. And for me, that was good enough. At least it gave me something to look forward to because, you know, back then I was bed bound, not doing anything so cool, not that night, but the next night. Uh, and then when I got off the phone to him, he, he messaged me saying, hey, mate, let's catch up Sunday. And I was like, what? Two, two nights in one week? That never happens with... Uh, this guy and hadn't happened for a while anyway with the, with the whole assault thing. And, uh, but then it kind of clicked. I thought, well, that doesn't happen really often. Are you, is he trying to move the day or does he want to see me twice? And I asked him like, are we still catching up tomorrow night? He's like, mate, I can't, I, um, I can't do tomorrow night. I was like, why not? He said, I've got uh, gym or fitness or whatever he had. And I was like, mate, I said, I, that's, don't don't treat your mates like that. That's you know bullshit type thing. And the next thing he said was even worse. He said like as a friend type thing. He said, "Look, mate, I'll see what I can do." Five minutes later, he messaged me back saying, "I managed to rearrange my schedule, and I can fit you in tomorrow night." And that that pissed me off. Yet I still accepted it and went around and caught up with him and had a fun time. And but that that ironically that bit of hope or that acknowledgement that um i still mattered maybe because i was in a dark place i don't really know how that kind of turned it around but yeah that was a bit of a it was a interesting situation how that all unfolded and how you responded to that but um yeah i don't know if he knows that to be honest or if he remembers that but that really kind of pissed me off how that unfolded Given some of your mates have behaved pretty ordinary behaviour towards you since the assault, how many of them are still in your life now? Uh, none of them, actually. Oh, well, none of those guys. Uh, yeah, none of them. I've got one, two, two. Yeah, two, two of my mates who I've had since high school, 
um, who weren't really part, no, three of them, sorry, who weren't really part of that group. One of them who came out that night who didn't stay in to King's Cross, I'm still friends with him. And these other two guys I've been friends with for a while. Um, but those guys I haven't seen. The guy that caused the trouble? Yeah, I don't see him anymore. Um, still friendly with him if I, ever, if I ever pass by or, but I don't talk to him or, you know, I don't, I've made other mates and we've gone our separate ways, I guess. I consciously just chose to seek out new mates. And uh, one of them, though, the mate that, um, yeah, one of them I'm wanting to catch up with again just to, you know, I hadn't seen him in a, in a year. He was the last one that I kind of stopped catching up with because he was always such a, he was, he was always a friend and a good friend, not, not, not the most amazing friend. Um, so he, yeah, I'm planning on catching up with, but uh, yeah, not many. Can I ask you one thing? You, you said you had failed in an attempt to kill yourself as a teenager. Mm. That night when you, when, you, when you go to bed and you decide pretty much in your head that tomorrow you will kill yourself. And, you know, you, you, your mate kind of does the right thing by you and gives you that lifeline for, you know, a couple of days more. If, are you confident that if he had not done that, the next day you would have killed yourself? See, I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I've never really... There's things that I've just buried in the back of my mind, I guess. But if, he, if he'd been an absolute, complete wanker and never wanted to catch up at all, which there was never any chance of that happening... Um, I think I I think I would have kept trying to find help a couple more times. I wasn't I was at my wits end in my own solidarity in my own bedroom. But I the fact that I said to myself that I will seek out help, I didn't mean I'll seek out help from one person and if if that failed, I would seek out help probably from friends, but if all my friends said you know, I would have tried a couple more people. But if they all said, I don't have any time for you, Pat, then, yeah, I don't think I would have gone to family either because they were the people I felt like I was burdening and that I'd be better off if I wasn't there. So I had a few more lifelines, yeah. I don't think it would have been it. Did your mum know that? No, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't think so. I don't know if I told her that. That was it. Uh, don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. You better tell her. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I better tell her. I think she. I think. Yeah. yeah don't know. What's What's gone wrong, Pat, in the world? When I was so I'm twenty years older than you, give or take, quite a few. Um. The, the act of punching someone was is not a new one. Mm. It's not a recent thing. It certainly no. happened when I was a kid and when I was a young adult. 
but you almost always knew you were in a fight and you almost always knew that the punch was coming or could. Mm. What's, you know, and, and right now at the start of 2016 in, in Australia and particularly in Sydney and Brisbane, um, there's been this kind of, you know, the media tells you it's an end, you know, epidemic that's overstating it somewhat, but there is a lot of attention in the media around what the media is now dubbed coward punches, which I think is pretty, pretty good terminology really, where, you know, you're hitting the back of the side of the head and you don't know what's coming and, and, you know, there's just CCTV footage of it all the time and it, and it looks horrendous. And this week, uh, a, a female was, um, hit with a cow punch by a big dude. Mm. All on CCTV footage. What's what's gone wrong? What has changed to say in the last twenty years? It's okay. Like it, I can't. I can't imagine at my most pissed or most angry or both, just smashing someone in the back of the head when they're not looking, and I'm not part of a fight with them. Mm. Why? In your mind, as, as someone who has thankfully survived this, when so many others have not, what's changed? Yeah, I thought about that too. And I kind of feel, um, you know, not, there's, there's, there's been so many drastic changes in the last, say, 20 years in a lot of things. Um, you probably didn't have internet back in your <laughs> Uh, so, um, I'm just going to ignore that, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I kind of feel like the whole, um, what's the word, the, the, the glorification of fighting like MMA, um, not, you know, I can't, you can't singularity, you know, pull something out and sure. say that's the main cause, but, you know, you've got things like MMA, where uh, you know fighters are cheered to brutally beat someone to the point where they're submitting submitting through broken bones or blood or whatever um you know even when they're on the ground whereas you know boxing back in the day and now is standing up punching face to face and if they're down they're down they're not you don't jump on them um then you've got um you know the, the on the onset of social media like Instagram or um, where you know aesthetics are glor like uh, how you look is key on social media like that, which is you know brought on people wanting to get bigger and better at the gym and you know you've got all these twenty four hour gyms so people who are you know getting bigger and they're on they might be on they might be on roids or they you know, are encouraged to do whatever it takes to get bigger and the, the mentality between those kind of people might be different. Uh, I, yeah, I remember going out to a club after my assault a couple of years later um, and bumping into a guy as you as you are in a packed kind of crowded club and he was huge, like this dude was massive and um you know you look at someone the wrong way like i supposedly did and he got angry and wanted to fight and started pushing me and luckily nothing happened but um yeah 
I don't know. It's a weird. It's that snap. Yeah, it's weird out there. Yeah. What's? How do you fix it? Um. Well, I think what's happened at King's Cross, although a lot of people don't like it, I don't know how normal it is in a major city to have such a alcohol fueled, drug fueled, um, you know, um, corrupt fueled area where there's so many, so much alcohol and, and booze in one spot that um, you have everyone who wants to start a fight basically in that one area. Um, so I think dispersing it, dispersing, although there, there will always be violence, I guess, but dispersing it so there are only a few of those people in areas was a good start. I don't know. Um, I don't know if you can kind of fully stop it because of, you know, freedom of information now on the internet and um, YouTube yeah. and videos and all that. So I think you just got to, how you are as a person and how you are with your mates, you make sure you go out that night and before you go out, you, you say, okay, we're going to, this is how it's going to happen. We're going to stick together. If it gets crazy, we all agree that we're going to leave at this point or, you know, you look out for your friends and you just, yeah, you can't stop random punches. No, I, I, I always, I have this theory, you know, that nothing good happens at 2am. Mm -hmm. No. But, you know, and I think if you, if you go out and whatever you're searching for, you have not found by midnight, go home. Yeah. Right. That, now look. And that's now. I rewind my life 25 years and I'd have, you know, been the loose one at 5 a.m. That's, yeah. I think that comes with, you know, Asian experience, being a dad and whatever. But the, the theory of nothing bad happening at 2 a.m., your assault happened before midnight. Mm. So, yeah. You know, it's, yeah. I want to ask two last questions. Oh, shit. I've saved some good ones. <laughs> First one is if, if you met, if somehow they find the guy who punched you and changed your life and you get to sit down with him and ask one question, what would that one question be? I think if I, I think the question I'd ask him would be, and this is probably not what many people would ask, is what kind of man he is now. Um, I don't really know if asking him why he did it would give me any kind of answer because it would just be, uh, well, I don't know, just in a fight, I'm not sure, you know. I feel like the thing that would give me the most closure would be understanding what kind of man he is now to see if what he did or what he what happened that night or something um, changed the kind of man he is and um, because I know the kind of man I was before my assault was I feel like I was probably on a pretty rocky path really like so and the man I am now after such an event uh, I'm kind of 
grateful that I survived and not, you know, besides the memory part, not too many bad things happened now. So I would want to just, yeah, see what kind of person he is right now. And then I could place judgment in my own mind if he's just one of those people who will throw a coward's punch, you know. Yeah, because he he may have never done that before or since. He may have yeah. been a, you know, it may have been a mistake in that he thought you had, mm. you know, everyone makes mistakes. Mm. That's right. His mistake cost you a year of your life, yeah, and and changed you forever. But it's still a mistake, mm. yeah. Even if you meant to do it, yeah, it, it's a mistake in that way. Yeah. The last question I want to ask you is: What's the best thing to have come out of being assaulted in a King's Cross nightclub, rendered unconscious? have to learn how to walk and talk and think again, lose your mates who didn't do such a great job of being your mates anyway, put your mum and your sister through some pretty hard times watching you maybe die and then watching you for months dying even though you weren't. Mm-hmm. But what's the best thing that's come out of it? Uh, the best thing that's come out of it, I think, is, well, the kind of, the kind of soul searching and, um, uh, self-awareness and the kind of man that I've become, I think all of it and the people I've met and, um, I'm now kind of happily, scarily pursuing a dream of, um, wanting to inspire people uh, and having had that assault happen to me gives me that bit of a push to not um, to not just kind of step back and be like, oh, well, you know, I've got the rest of my life to sort something out. It kind of always gives me that kick to be like, well, you know, Pat, you almost died. Every year uh, is a bit of a blessing um, and, you know, every day is. So I kind of feel like the courage even though i'm always pretty shit scared when i'm what i'm doing right now yeah the courage to kind of be the man i am now and to pursue the dreams of trying to inspire people it's probably the best thing that's come from from all of it not all not all good stuff has to come from good stuff no totally that's right yeah pat has um a fledgling speaking career and a a business called Cherry, which we'll, I'll put the um, links to both Pat's website and Cherry's website in the show notes so you can check out what he's doing right now. Pat, I want to thank you. Even as a mate of mine, this is not easy. No, it's not. And, and you know, I want you to know that you inspire me, but not not because of the story, not because of the assault, but, you know, the, just the generous kind person you are now and how many people could benefit from that um at scale is is hugely important i want to thank you for sharing your story with us today 
Thanks, and uh, and hopefully a lot of people can get a lot of from it. So yeah, I hope so. Thanks, thanks, mate. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. That concludes part two of Pat's story. To have such a capacity for forgiveness and resilience in such a young man is inspiring, and I'm really glad to be able to bring his story to you. In the next episode of Ordinary Stories, we meet Sue. Sue had a pretty normal, everyday life until one tragic and very sad event changed her life forever. A few years ago, Sue became unwittingly entangled in a life of betrayal, cruelty and ultimately murder. But as dramatic as all of that sounds, the really amazing part of this story is how the power of forgiveness has put Sue on a very different path today. And I can't wait to bring it to you in the next episode of the Ordinary Stories podcast. If you would like to continue the conversation, head to our Facebook page, just search Ordinary Stories on Facebook. And we would love it if you could head to iTunes and leave a rating and or a review for the Ordinary Stories podcast there too. Thanks for listening to the ordinary story. <laughs> now I'm giggling. Um, thank you for listening. There's a couple of ways that you could be that you can be part of what we're creating. Um, on iTunes, you can you can or you can rate the show on iTunes, or you can rate the show on iTunes <laughs> and review, rate and review the, and leave a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. This should not be this difficult.